Welcome to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing's podcast, The Wellbeing Connector, where through our guests, we explore ideas for making healthcare a better place to work and serve. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Les Schwab. Les is a primary care physician with 40 years of experience in medical practice and healthcare organizational leadership. In his leadership roles, he has been responsible for clinical operations, quality and safety, practice design, leadership training, and building the quality of the physician workforce. He has practiced and managed in the public sector, private practice, and multi-specialty group practice environments. Most recently, he served as a chief medical officer at Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, a 600-physician multi-specialty practice in eastern Massachusetts. Les has attained certification in coaching and operates a coaching consulting practice focused on performance improvement and leadership development. He is a Harness Scholar at the Institute of Coaching in Boston and served as Principal Investigator for a randomized controlled study of a coaching intervention that demonstrated a decrease in physician burnout. Hello, Les. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hi, Michael. So I'm so glad you're able to join. I thought a good way to start would be um, talk about your experience in coaching from your beginning, when you first got introduced to coaching and what got you excited about it and and what are your thoughts? Okay, thank you. So I got introduced to coaching about a dozen years ago when I became the chief medical officer at Atrius Health, which is a large group practice here in greater Boston. And by wisdom of the board, all the new people on the senior team were given the opportunity to be coached. And I consulted my mentors and got the best coach I could find. And it was very worthwhile. It proved to be the best adult learning experience of my life. And so when I phased out of management about nine years ago, I thought rather than continue in that track, why don't I learn coaching? And so I got myself trained and certified at a Gestalt psychology training program on the Cape and have been practicing as a coach ever since. So great. So tell me, what is Gestalt psychology and how is it different from other executive coaching that our audience might be familiar with? Okay. Well, Gestalt psychology, which the audience may know is a sort of mid-20th century school of psychology, has evolved from an individual therapy branch and also as well into an organizational development branch. And that's what the Institute I went to on the Cape. That was an OD-oriented Gestalt Institute. Gestalt psychology has a good working model of human growth, human cognition, and human contact that I found wholly believable. And it supported my long observational career of how people grow and change through my life, both as a person and as a physician. And I found that the tools of coaching that were matched to the theory of Gestalt made perfect sense. And so I was easily able to accept them, learn them, and use them, and have found they actually work. Work in what way? What, how do they help the clients? It helps the client become observant of their own state, of their own presence of their own questions about whatever the need is at the moment. It helps them become empowered to see what else they might do 
to get past the point in which they can ask me for help. And together can use that to actually forge a way ahead that gets past old assumptions, inhibitions, uh, and becomes more actionable. But it means gaining a clear view of oneself and one's opportunity and barriers. And I found that this method really helps get there fast. So who tend to be your clients? Well, I've dealt with physicians at all levels of their career. You know, at the beginning, I have dealt with uh, residents having trouble getting through their training program. At the far end, I've had division chiefs and department chairs whose deans have said, you need some more leadership ability. And in between, I have all kinds of mid-career physicians dealing with burnout, dealing with career choices, and even from the state medical society, disruptive physicians who need to learn some new behaviors to be able to work well within their practice. So what are some of the biggest successes you've had working with people? What kind of, what kind of successes have you had? Okay, so here I've got one from the state medical society. It was one of my first clients. Uh, a very capable fellow, very bright, in fact, the smartest kid in the room, bright. And he was always over-talking everybody else in the room and was in trouble for his job, actually, that he was felt to be too, too uncollaborative. And his department chair said, you need to learn how to work with other people. And it turned out he was already a little bit on the spectrum. So it might look like he was a formidable client, but what I found that worked with him was that he was able to observe himself well enough and to have remorse about the impact he had on other people, which apparently we were able to have him see, which he could not see when given feedback from his own people. And with that, he actually worked on his presence successfully, learned the skills needed to be a more collaborative department member, department member, and his job was saved. And in fact, I believe he is thriving now. So I think that was a good one. Wonderful. And how does your um, role as a PCP, Bo, are you still practicing as a physician? I am. I am. I have now a half-time practice uh, here uh, at Atrius Health in Greater Boston. I have a panel of 1,300 patients, which is considered half time. Yeah, I'm still doing it. Great. So, so how does that affect your coaching? Well, how does being a doc affect my coaching? Yeah. So it, it certainly gets me in the door. I have the street cred with other physicians and physician leaders for that matter to speak the language, know the struggles, understand the landscape with them. So that is immensely helpful. Uh, but I think once in the door, I think it's a matter of gaining trust and showing some skill myself that actually gets me moving forward. Wonderful. And so you've had a range of uh, clients, as you said, from residents to uh, senior leaders. Um, yes. What do you find is a commonality between them? Well, I think, you know, physicians as a class are very talented, very cognitively adept, and have a lot of strength uh, just to do the job of being a doc. A lot of strengths, of, of courage, of, of intended kindness, you know, a wish to do the right thing under very difficult circumstances, and they have a whole big skill set. 
I found that the new phenomenon that they have to engage, you know, like teamwork or leadership, doesn't call up the same response immediately, doesn't call on their strengths immediately. They revert back to some of the more competitive, isolated, heroic, and highly cognitive stances that have helped them in their career to this point. But they don't see that a new, more relational mindset, reading the room, uh, sharing control, collaborative problem solving, they don't see that immediately as the way to move forward. And it's my job to actually illuminate those possibilities and help them see the advantage of it and help them get there. Wonderful. And um, you're still practicing. Has your experience with coaching affected your clinical practice? Absolutely. You know, for a long time as a clinician, I've been dealing with that, that patients don't take advice. And I tried every method I knew informally to get them to listen and adopt the recommended prescription, therapeutic choice, lifestyle choice, whatever. And I would try every method. I would be kind and hand-holding. I'd be severe and strict with them. I'd be pejorative. I'd be humorous. None of this worked, absolutely. So the reason it didn't is that their resistance wasn't recognized. It was I was taking the leader role in assuming that I knew best. Well, I didn't really listen to why they weren't able. But the training I got taught me how to lean into resistance. And if you lean into a person's resistance, then they become cognitively open and start to see possibility. What does lean into resistance mean? Okay, so here's a very quick download. Very quick. If somebody isn't receptive or doing what you believe you have clearly stated. There are three kinds of resistance. Briefly, I don't get it, I don't like it, or I don't like you. I don't get it means there's really a cognitive gap. And to lean into that, you teach. You cite the facts, you cite the data, you go through the rationale. And if that's all the resistance is, that's usually enough to say, oh, I got it. If it's I don't like it, it's usually an emotional resistance. Like you're asking me to do something that scares me or is very hard. Or I'm feeling too nervous or too angry right now to listen to you. Okay, and being pushed out there. So you have to really rely on some reading the person or the room saying, oh, this is where it is stuck. And then leaning in means recognizing it. This must be really hard for you. I'm asking a lot. I think this may be scary. I think this may be new and you're uncomfortable trying it. And if you, and you check in with them saying, is that right? And if you hit it, then they start to become open. They become cognitively open again and can now start seeing what you've presented to them and are more ready to transact with it. And the I don't like you is rarely personal. It's really more like I don't like you and your role. You're the boss, and I don't like that you're acting like the boss of me. You know, you're the doctor, you're just making money, you're just a production guy these days, you, you, you. And the way you lean into that is a more long-term project. It's about establishing oneself as a trustworthy partner. I'm going to be open to your opinion. I'm going to research stuff for you when you give me stuff to do. I'm going to give you my opinion candidly. We can agree to disagree and so forth. But at least know that on the other end, I'm going to be a trustworthy broker. 
And that, over time, can also take down the resistance that's so foundational in the relationship and get people to start collaborating and cooperating with the agenda. Wonderful. And so I assume you've had good results in terms of how your patients respond to you differently since you've had the coaching experience? Absolutely. And I only wish I had more time because, you know, taking the time to do that much process in a relationship, I think it's where the payoff is and may matter more than recording all the checklisty things that we've got to do in our tasks these days. But I think until you address the behavioral ceiling that patients bump into, it's probably more worthwhile. And it's just a matter of dealing with that kind of clinicianship versus the tasks we now have. You know, and as an aside, I think that's part of the burnout. I don't think docs are feeling that they're able to really engage well, given the burden of their administrative tasks, even though they know they can and should, in a better world, do it. So as part of your coaching, are you also uh, teaching some of your clients how to have some of these coaching skills for their, for their own life and with their own patients? Absolutely. You know, that, uh, yeah, so if the presenting problem is patient communications, definitely some of this. If it is teamwork and collaboration, definitely, the, you know, to, to get somewhere, you do have to recognize who are your partners and, and what do they need to hear from you to begin to work together, absolutely. And in leadership coaching, too, that leaders need to establish some of these skills if they're going to achieve their strategy. And I got to know about you first uh, from some of your work with the Mass Medical Society. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, I have been part of a cadre of coaches whom the Mass Medical Society calls on to deal with physicians who are referred to them because of really serious practice problems. Uh, disruption, real disorganization, um, recovery from personal trauma and not really being present, and that the practice is alarmed enough to say, is this guy really or gal really able to, to keep going? And so when they, after Mass Medical, does their thorough evaluation and make sure this isn't a medical issue, a psychological issue, or a substance issue, then they may be referred to coaching for getting the behavior that they need to reestablish themselves in practice. Another project I did with Mass Medical was under with its former leader, Dr. Steve Edelman, who was a colleague of mine uh, at Atrius. We produced a podcast of about 20 episodes that involve solving for burnout. And what we did is we took a young, early career doctor who went by the stage name of Dr. Marie Curious and I, and a series of about 15 or so experts, and had a guest per episode. And each guest was an expert in one part of the solution to physician burnout. It could be practice efficiency. It could be delegation. It could be personal wellness. It could be advocating for resources. You know, the list, I know you know the list, and I'm sure many of your audience know the long list of what the possibilities for improving burnout are. But we would do it in a conversational way in which Marie would interview the guest expert and eventually get the conversation around to actual deliverables that she could deploy in her practice. So in this way, it was a kind of coaching framework. Here's the information. Now, how is it applied? And we walked through it each 
week, and it was a wonderful experience, and I am happy to report that Marie has stayed with their practice and, in fact, has now begun to have some leadership positions. So I think even her experience was useful, let alone what it might have conveyed to our audience. And is that podcast still available? And if so, where would our audience uh, find it if they want to look for it? Yeah, it's called MedPEP, Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, M-E-D-P-E-P. And I think it's medpep.org. Wonderful. Um, And I know you're also very involved with uh, research as it relates to executive coaching. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah. So... In terms of executive coaching, there's one project we have going at Atrius, which is about how do leaders help frontline clinicians reduce their burnout. And this is based on findings at Mayo, that when they looked at docs and measured their burnout and then asked them to rate their leaders in leadership style, Those docs whose leaders had a more participatory style had only half the burnout of those docs who had a more traditional command and control style. So a colleague of mine, Dr. Diana Dill, uh, developed a curriculum for teaching the elements and skills of participatory management. And we have taught this now to some, I don't know, 70 or 80 chiefs at Atrius Health, all the major specialties and all the individual departments where they were enough members to have their own department. We only have data from the first year from pediatric chiefs, but what we found was not only was this highly rated by the participating chiefs, their docs observed that their chief style had changed and their docs also reported somewhat decreased burnout. So it was directionally promising. I can't say it reached statistical significance, but we think we're in the right direction. And empirically, anecdotally, this seems to be a very popular program, and so we continue. And the research is continuing. You're still collecting data, I assume. Correct. Okay. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the other research project I was involved in, which is really about coaching primary care physicians for burnout. Please. Okay. So we did actually a randomized control study of about 60 PCPs who were given very brief coaching based on a model that had been successful in coaching patients about managing chronic illness. The model was one hour of in-person coaching and then five half hours of telephonic coaching conducted over a three-month period. And we measured many scales of job satisfaction, job efficacy, psychological capital, intentions to leave, leave turnout, turnover intentions, so forth. And we did it in two groups, people who got coached immediately and people who got coached six months later. And then we repeated the, it was, it was a time trial, we repeated it with the same intervention six months later, but we collected data from the beginning. So we had the intervention group and the control group, and we found significant improvements in burnout, a sense of well-being, job efficacy, and so forth. And when we looked six months later, for each of those groups, we found that those improvements were sustained. Oh, wonderful. So even, even after the invention was sustained. And then we did some anecdotal asks. What difference did this make to you when the six months were over? And found out that the practices people had begun involved a whole variety of things, whether it was doing some kind of personal wellness practice, 
to uh, better teamwork, to better delegation, to more efficient documentation, to advocacy for resources from their chiefs. You know, so again, these are anecdotes, but uh, at least a subset of our people found it very empowering, and the group as a whole found it worthwhile. And this was just general coaching, or did you have a curriculum as well? To we had a, we had a curriculum. We had some senior coaches developed a standard toolbox derived from positive psychology, which was you know there were some standard beginning approaches for the first two sessions you know, that were drawn from the toolbox. And then after that, because coaching is client-directed, there were no preset goals. The client docs set out what they wanted to do with each coach, but the coach used their familiarity with positive psychology to walk them through, in addition to the several standard tools that they began with. So what was the main thing you wanted the, uh, the subjects to learn? That, uh, what was the main positive psychology message that they were hoping, you were hoping they would get? That they were entitled to better professional life and that they had some capability to achieve it. Wonderful. And is that practice that was part of the research study, is it continuing on in, uh, operationally within the organization or other organizations? It has spread to other organizations. Finding that coaching that brief could actually have a positive result has, has begat some other Similar brief coaching interventions. These are more five and six hours rather than just a telephonic half hour, but that has spread to several departments at Mass General Hospital here, where I'd say 150 docs have been on a grant sponsorship participated. I work at a medical group in Maine where some 50 docs, which is about 20% of their entire membership, have not been through this resilience coaching. And uh, it's even this leadership coaching model that we have at Atrius is only five or six hours of coaching. You know, it, it, that we had evidence that brief coaching could be successful rather than an extended open-ended engagement, I think helped sell this to the institutions. Wonderful. So you've been coaching now for a number of years. I'm looking, have you, uh, what's, what's your uh, opinion on the trends? Where, where have things, where, how have things changed from when you first started coaching to where we are right now? Well, in some ways, the state of physician well-being has gotten worse, if anything. You know, that we have continued trend to all these mergers and acquisitions and consolidation in the market. We don't have any relief on the EHR side yet. And then COVID, of course, which has been extremely traumatic to the individuals, disruptive of the practice settings. And... The disruption continues. I mean, we're in the midst of another surge, and I think practices all over the country are experiencing all kinds of labor shortages because people have had it. So the docs are working under continued production pressure because revenues also have fallen off with all this with less support than they used to have. So things are really not good right now. So that's what's changed in the field out there. So how has that changed your coaching practice? So, it, something that's happening in positive psychology and in physician health and now coaching is the need to see the client not in the context of their own self, not only in the context of their own immediate relationships at work at home, but in the context of the organization and the system they work in, and to see where the points of contact with the organization and the system are that they can activate to regain some sense of agency about 
their dilemmas. So that's the, that's the change in in both positive psychology, which uh, the Institute of Coaching, which sponsors uh, annual conferences, that this is the direction in which the theorists in the field are moving. That coaching is incomplete. Positive psychology is incomplete unless it intervenes, offers the client some degree of intervention that is conscious of environment. And the American Conference on Physician Health, which I attended in October, had a fantastic uh, address by Tate Shanafelt, whom I'm sure you and your audience know is thought leader in relieving physicians' burdens, in which he talked about a movement from well-being 1.0 to well-being 2.0, which is to, again, a key part of that is to see oneself as part of a system and a community as opposed to an individual interacting with them. So you've done a lot over the years, and you've been coaching now for quite a long time, and you actually had your clinical practice, which you still have, and leadership roles. What's next for you, Les? Well, I think at long last, I'm planning to retire from my clinical uh, practice. Um, that I actually am setting a date for this year. And I plan to intend to enlarge my coaching practice, taking on individual and organizational clients. And I'm also interested in developing my own skill. I belong to a supervision group that meets every other week and we talk our difficult cases with each other. And I'm also interested in getting more to the intellectual foundation of coaching and positive psychology. So with that, I have an affiliation with the local Institute of Coaching and participate in various projects and learnings there. Very nice. So I want to thank you for joining us today. We're about our half hour mark. Um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts or reflections you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. So I'd say being a doc was one of the most wonderful, heartfelt, developmentally wonderful experiences of my life. And it ought to be like that for everybody. And the great sadness is that we are in circumstances where it isn't. So I want your listeners to know they are doing great things in the right domain and to know that they are entitled to it and to recover whatever agency they need to do to reclaim it. Very nice. Well, with that, I want to thank you uh, today for joining us and for sharing all your thoughts. So thank you very much, Les. Well, thank you, Michael. I enjoyed it. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Dr. Les Schwab for joining us today and for sharing both his insights and personal stories. You can reach Les at his email of les at lschwabcoaching.com. That's L-E-S at L-S-C-H-W-A-B coaching.com. If you wish to learn more about the coalition, please visit our website at www.forphysicianwellbeing.org. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I also want to thank our volunteers and the staff from the Coalition who made this podcast possible. Finally, I'd like to thank ASESIS, A-C-E-S-I-S, Incorporated, for sponsoring my time working on this podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing, its board, or other members of the Coalition. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown, wishing our caregivers out there meaning, purpose, and joy in the practice of medicine. Together we are stronger. Until next time.